Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Yeah. Um, it's good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Dan. I'm on staff here at Cornerstone. Um, and if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, we are continuing <clears throat> our series in Hebrews. Um, so you can turn to Hebrews chapter 7 if you have your Bible on you. And if you do not, we will have it right on the screen for you to follow with us. Hebrews chapter 7. And uh, the, the passage is pretty dense. There's a lot going on. Um, as I was preparing, I was thinking, wow, it's dry. Um, but uh, praying that God would speak to you mightily. So we're going to start in verse 18. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death. They kept dying and they couldn't continue in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those other high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for, the, for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So <clears throat> that's our pastor today, and before I pray for us, I want to give a little bit of uh, introduction to what I'm going to be talking about. Um, what I want to say today is, if we go back to the context of Hebrews, remember again that this is to a people, this is to God's people, this is to the church at a very discouraged state, right? And so you might say that the book of Hebrews is kind of like a big uh, letter of pastoral counseling. How is he going to encourage the people of God in the name of Jesus, to continue in strength. And um, a lot of times when we look at Jesus and look at Christianity and what it is, we think about the past, right? Like, oh, God saved us, or Jesus did something a long time ago. We think about the future. Um, One day I will be with heaven, be in heaven with God. Um, But what I want to say today is that there's a message of truth that's for right now. For right now. And I think for a lot of us, that's one of the reasons we find it hard to share about Christianity with other people is because we're not experiencing anything right now, right? And we try to turn uh, Christianity into kind of a philosophical thing. But how, mu- how much more amazing would it be if we could just say, do you, know, do you know how awesome God is? And we could just rattle off, you know what he's doing in my life? You know why I believe in God? That's convincing. That brings someone to Jesus. And the truth is for a lot of us who have been in church, We know God like a book, but not through an experience. And um, to to portray that, I have a little clip that I want to show. It's from 
Goodwill Hunting, which is kind of an old movie at this point, but a great movie. And I'd like to share a scene. So if we could push the sound up on that, because it's pretty quiet. So what's this? The taste is choice moment between guys. This is really nice. You got to think this one, since it's like a fetish. It's something like maybe we need to devote some time to. I thought about what you said to me the other day about my painting. Uh, Instead of half the night thinking about it, something occurred to me. I fell into a deep, peaceful sleep and haven't thought about you since. You know what occurred to me? No. You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. Why, thank you. It's all right. You've never been out of Boston. If I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo. I know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. Seen that... If I ask you about women, you'd probably give me a silver say your personal favorites. You may have even been laid a few times. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. When I ask you about war, you'd probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watched him gasp his last breath looking to you for help. I ask you about love. Probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. Known someone that could level you with her eyes feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you who could rescue you from the depths of hell and you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel to have that love for her be there forever through anything through cancer and you wouldn't know about sleeping sitting up in a hospital room for two months holding her hand because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours don't apply to you you don't know about real loss Because that only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. I look at you. I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared, shitless kid. But you're a genius, Will. No one denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you. But you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine. You ripped my fucking life apart. You're an orphan, right? Do you think I'd know the first thing about how hard your life has been, how you feel, who you are? Because I read Oliver Twist. Does that encapsulate you? Personally,
Um, so there's a little profanity in that. Um, left that in there to keep you awake. Uh, but the point was this. And, and the last, I'll go with the last illustration he gave. And I don't know if you could underhear all that. It was kind of hard to understand. But Matt Damon, young Matt Damon, um, he was an orphan in the movie. And he said, do you think I can understand your life as an orphan because I read a book about an orphan? The point being, you don't know really what something is till you taste it, till you experience it, till you've been there. And my prayer today is that for us, especially those who have been in church for a while, that this concept that we talk about today isn't just an idea that you rattle off in your head and say, yes, God is this, God is that, but then you sit back and it doesn't mean anything to you, you know? You look at the life of Paul, and, and, he, and he says some really bold statements. You know, everything is lost compared to knowing Christ. He says in, in Romans 8, when he says, what can separate us from the love of Christ? You know, who can stand against God's people? And then he goes on to say, there is neither death nor life, angel, demons, principalities, powers, nothing can separate us. And right in the middle is his explanation. Why? It's because Jesus intercedes for us. And that's what we're talking about today. But we've heard that if we're in church, Jesus intercedes for us. But I want that to mean something. So let me pray for us now before we continue, and we'll jump into Hebrews. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we ask that you would open up our hearts, God. God, that you might take something that we might have heard so many times, and you would speak it as if it's a fresh new truth to open our hearts, to quicken our spirits, to bring us to life as if we're discovering it for the first time. So Holy Spirit, would you come and do what only you can do today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the message of hope to the church that is in such struggle is this, and we're looking at chapter seven, um, but just to give you the whole point of today, In chapter 8, it starts off with, uh, a verse, two verses. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. And so the point is this, that Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our high priest. Um, so what does that mean? That doesn't mean anything today because we don't have a high priest. We have a pastor, and and pastors don't do sacrifices, and I don't do smoke and incense when I'm up here, right? We don't have a high priest today, so that doesn't mean very much. Um, but we're going to continue. This is no good. Um, I'll start at verse 1 of chapter 7. And introducing Melchi. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, me, Abraham, returning, uh, me, Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. Um, so who is Melchizedek? Melchizedek is this 
kind of a weird legendary person that comes up in Genesis 14. Um, and he just comes up for like two, three verses. And, and all that happens is this. Abraham comes away from a battle. And then Melchizedek appears as the high priest. And Abraham gives him a tithe. So why does the author of Hebrews start talking about Melchizedek? Um, we'll read on verse 3. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. And so this verse has tripped up some people to make it, it sounds like it's saying Melchizedek is eternal. Right? And so some people, you know, it's confusing. Um, it's like there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and, and God the Melchizedek. It's like quadrilateral God now. Um, but it's not saying that he is God, but that he resembles God. And the confusing thing about Melchizedek is that he shows up and he disappears. There's no introduction to him. There's no, you know, if you look at the genealogy, it's always like so-and-so lived so many years and they died. And they lived so many years and they died. And the next person lived so many years and they died. But Melchizedek, this huge person whom Abraham gave a tithe to, patriarchs receive the tithe for the people. They don't usually give a tithe to another person, right? So for Abraham to give a tithe to this high priest as the patriarch is saying that this is a major character, this Melchizedek person. And the, in, the significance of it is that he has this no beginning, no end, and he's resembling someone greater. And the whole point of Melchizedek is this picture analogy of somebody greater, a greater high priest, right? And all that to point to our ultimate high priest, who is Jesus. And so if you look at Melchizedek, all it does is the next few verses will continue to say why he's significant um, and talk about the Levitical priesthood and things like that and how they gave kind of essentially a tithe through Melchizedek, right? And so that's the point. And I just want to touch that in case you ever read Hebrew so you get an idea of who Melchizedek is. And so we jump to verse 27, now it's talking about Jesus. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this, did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now we have no perfect analogy for high priest. But Pastor Hojin mentioned this last week. A pretty close one and a pretty good one is that of a defense attorney. So we're going to continue with that analogy and think about it that way. Now, when you have a, an attorney, the reason this analogy works is the point, is the, is the idea of intercession. And that Jesus intercedes for us as a high priest. We can think of it as Jesus intercedes for us as our defense attorney. Right? He stands for us in the court, and he represents us. Now, when you, have, when you go to court, you could go and represent yourself. It's probably a bad idea. Um, some people watch TV, and they think they know everything. You watch CSI, and you think, I can represent myself. But no, it's probably a bad idea, because there's a lot of things going on in the court of law that we don't understand, and that we don't have a good case to bring, Right? And so with the court of law, in the ultimate court of law, he's saying that Jesus 
can stand as our defense attorney. And when someone represents you, whoever you ask to represent you, it's also their image that rubs off on you, right? Whoever represents you, someone will look at that representation and you will come off in the same way that you're represented. If your representation is a jerk, then the whole team that is being represented comes off kind of jerk-ish, right? And if they're pleasant and if they're kind and if they come off professional and they dress well, then whoever they represent comes off in the same way. Right? And so we're moving quickly through this. And the second thing to understand about a defense attorney, that the power of their, uh, what they're doing, and the strength of them as an attorney, is their case. Right? What kind of case can they bring to the court? And again, you can try to represent yourself and bring a case to the ultimate court to plead your own innocence, or you can take on the case of Christ. In the case of Jesus, simply put, is an infallible case. It's a perfect case. Jesus doesn't just come before the court and say, if it was for me, he doesn't just come before the court and say, um, God, yeah, Dan messed up this week. I know. And uh, he said a lot of times that he is not going to keep messing up, but he messed up. Um, but God, can you please just give him another chance? You know, like, I'm your son. Can you just kind of give me this favor and give him another chance? That would be a mercy plea, right? Kind of a plea just depending on uh, God to give mercy. But the case that Jesus brings is an infallible case for justice. The case that Jesus brings is directly appealing to the justice of God. He says, God, you're a just God. And as a just God, when things are wrong... There needs to be a consequence for it. God, would you see the price that I've paid? The blood that I've shed? The cross that I've bore? And I've paid the cost, God. The cost has been fully, fully paid. And God, because you are a just God, you don't demand two consequences for the same sin. And so appealing to the justice of God, God, would you be just as you are? And I plead innocence for, that, who, for whom I represent. That's the case of Jesus. That's the case that he brings. And then so today, it's very simple, the point the message the author of Hebrews is saying, do you know who represents you? Do you know who intercedes for you? Do you know who stands in your defense? And this opens us up everything for us, us as Christians. Do you think any of us stand here today, or we sit here today, and we think to ourselves, I, why do we have the Holy Spirit? Why is the Holy Spirit present in our lives? In Luke, it says that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. That's what it says. I don't deserve the Holy Spirit. I, I have disobeyed God many times. 
But we believe that as Christians, the Holy Spirit is in our lives and is operating in our lives. And the life and the presence of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit is in our lives. Why? Because in John, it says that Jesus is praying for us and he prays for the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so if we understand Jesus as our advocate, we can believe that the Holy Spirit is in our lives. Even prayer in itself, just the idea of prayer, says that the, the Bible says the prayers of a righteous man are effective. Lord, help me. My prayers will not be effective if it depends on my righteousness. In Psalms, it says that if, if I cherish iniquity in my heart, that God does not hear my prayers. Iniquity that just sins and, and wrongness. Lord knows that there's a place in my heart that is tempted and actually cherishes sin. But does that mean that God does not hear our prayers? Why can we believe that God hears our prayers? Why? It's because Jesus intercedes for us. It's because he stands as our defense. And when Jesus represents us, God does not see a sinner anymore, but he sees the representation. When Jesus represents us, we can come before God in the image of Christ. When Jesus represents us, we wear his righteousness. We wear his holiness. And that's what God sees. That's the only reason we can come before God. This, this idea of Jesus as our advocate, it affects everything else too. You can, every promise that we believe in is because Jesus intercedes for us. We want one thing that it does. It undermines disappointment in our lives. We have such disappointment in our lives, don't we? And, 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 and to some degree, there will always be disappointment. But the great, greatest disappointments usually are when we try to be for ourselves our own advocates. And we try to take the place of Christ in our lives. Right? When we try to find our self-worth in what we do, we get huge hugely, drastically disappointed. When we try to find our sense of value, when we try to find our security, our confidence in what we can do, we find disappointment. But if we understand Christ as our representation, Christ as the one who says you are valuable, Christ as the one who says you are worthy, who says you are beautiful, who says you are desirable, who says you are precious then that goes away because it's not about us are we looking for strength in our lives why can we believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is in our lives because Jesus because he's our advocate we look at the martyrdom of Stephen in the book of Acts he was being stoned and it says he looked up and what did he see? He saw God and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And in that moment, all he could think was, God, would you forgive these people? And he could take on whatever suffering was coming his way. Where did he find that source of strength? A source of courage. 
because he believed in Jesus as his advocate. Then the ultimate courtroom, that when all is said and done, there's only one judgment that matters. There's only one thing that matters, and there's only one thing that can be his ultimate fulfillment. And in that court, he had Jesus as his advocate. And no other courtroom matters then. What what are we looking for in our lives? If we can see that Jesus stands before us and he intercedes for us, he prays for you. Look at the next verse. One more. Let me go back to verse 18. Let's read through this one more time. And as Jesus, as our advocate, Jesus is the one who represents us. With that in mind, read what we're saying here. For on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. The old law would say that you need to live up to a certain standard. And whenever we fail to do that, all we see is that we are not holy. And so there was a, there was a constant cycle of, of living and sinning and sacrifice and sinning and sacrifice. And that way it wasn't working to purify anybody. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. This one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, Jesus, are a priest forever. And this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is always praying for you, advocating for you, standing up for you. He is always your strength, always your hope. Verse 26, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins, because he had no sins of his own. He did not need to offer sacrifice for his own sins. When the other ones needed to do it for themselves and then for the sins of the people. He did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So again, it's such basic truth, right? And if you've been in church, Jesus intercedes for you. Yes, he loves you. But I have one more clip that I want to show from, again, Goodwill Hunting. And again, we'll see young Matt Damon and a little bit younger Robin Williams do their thing. Um, but to just show how we don't get it sometimes, we'll show this clip. I am 
am today because I was pushed and because I learned to push myself. Is that you? You guessed that? I can come back. I'll come in. Uh, I was just leaving. A lot of that stuff goes back a long way between me and him. Don't fuck with me, Sean. Not you. It's not your fault.
You ever grow up hearing something and just kind of one ear out the other? Yeah, yeah, you know. You know. Sometimes you don't really know. I like to spend just a few moments praying as we end, and I'll I'll invite the praise team up to um, just come up now. Um, So if you've been to church for a while, yeah, you've heard that Jesus intercedes for you. You've heard that he prays for you. You heard that he loves you. You heard that he cherishes you. You heard that we are more than conquerors. You've heard that there is hope that surpasses understanding. You know that Jesus is your advocate and that he stands for you. But do you really know Jesus stands for you. He prays for you. The Son of God is praying for you. He he calls you righteous. That guilt that you're harboring, that thing that you feel like makes you feel unclean, do you know that Jesus calls you righteous? Don't let it go in your one in your in one ear and out the other. That struggle that you think you can't get out of, that sin that you can't overcome, that love that you can't give, that grudge that you can't let go of. Do you know that Jesus intercedes for you? And he prays for you. And he stands as your strength. So I, I just want to give us a minute to, whatever that thought is, to lay that before God. And to just let God be there. So let's take whatever we have and just in a moment say, God, would you be my advocate? Would you be the one who stands for me and help that to sink in that I would claim that and believe in that with all that I am? says son daughter you are my child
I stand for you. I stand with you. Don't you know that I love you? Let me tell you again, I love you. Don't resist this. Son, daughter, I love you. I hold your world in my hands. I stand for you. I stand for you today. And today you can find hope. Today you can find strength because I intercede for you today. You are not alone. You are not alone. I am with you. God, we thank you that you intercede for us. We thank you that because of your righteousness, because of your holiness, we can know the promises that you say. We can have such boldness and courage in who we are because we're completely secure in our identity in you as you stand as our advocate. So Holy Spirit, would you speak this truth into our lives? To know that in all things, we are never alone. That in all things, you stand for us and you stand with us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.